Thank you, Pauline, for sharing. What a joy it is to see uh, God raising up this next generation uh, for His glory. Okay, please uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 27, and we will jump down to verse 33 to the end. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you... Okay, jumping down to verse 33, uh, 34. No, 33. So therefore, any... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you as children, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal the truth of the Word of God. We pray, Jesus, You would come and teach us because You are the good teacher. We pray, Lord, that we we want to learn how not to be disqualified from discipleship. We want to be a true disciple, a true Christian. We want to learn, Lord, how not to backslide what what is required of us. And so, Lord, we ask that You would would minister, teach, reveal truth to us in this time. I give this time to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, uh, from John chapter 6, verse 66, uh, uh, this is after Jesus had taught about the Lord's Supper, and it was a difficult teaching because Jesus had not died. His blood was not shed. His his body had not been broken. And so him teaching in advance about the Lord's Supper was so difficult to comprehend that it says many disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. And this is after he fed thousands upon thousands of people and so this church uh, must have been could be in the thousands and then suddenly after one sermon it's down to 12 if Jesus was interested in growing a mega church he would not preach this way uh, if Peter uh, wanted to have a, a large church uh, to uh, to be a part of and to eventually be a leader of, he would, I think, pull Jesus aside and say, you cannot preach like this, Jesus. You're losing everybody. Uh, and I think in Luke 14, again, Jesus uh, teaches an offensive, uh, he teaches an offensive uh, message and he's losing people left and right. Uh, Luke chapter 14, the earlier part of the chapter, Jesus is invited to the home of a chief Pharisee, so it's a a ruler of the Pharisees. Uh, He gives a parable about their pride, and so that's quite offensive when Jesus sees the heart, and so he gives a message about uh, a wedding feast, a guest who thinks they are VIP, they take the highest seat, uh, and he says how embarrassing it's going to be if somebody tells you, actually, that's reserved for somebody else. Can you take a lower seat? Instead, why don't you take a lower seat and let the, the, the people recognize you and put you in a, in a higher seat? And I've witnessed this firsthand at a wedding. Uh, some, uh, some people in the church view themselves as VIP. The, you know the section that's roped off for, for the family? They kind of push their way into there. 
And it was just shocking for me to witness. How can that person sit in that spot that is reserved for family? But again, the God's word is true. You see it all the time. Uh, then he then he offends um, the host, the one who invited him to this dinner. Then he is offending the host. Uh, he's exposing the the notion of love that this host has because who is he uh, who is he gathering uh, for a dinner party? It is it is family members. It is rich neighbors. Uh, and, and so he is, he is challenging this, this kind of self-centered love which has a string attached to it um, uh, because you invite people who will invite you in return. So you invite family, family is going to invite you to their house in return. You invite rich neighbors, they're going to show you a favor in return. And so it's a love with a, with a string attached. And he says, instead, why don't you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the people who cannot repay you? Uh, but God will repay you in the end. And that's the, the that parable that He is offending the host. And then Jesus gives another hard passage that we read. It says in verse 25, Great crowds accompanied Him, and He turned and said to them, and then He gives a sermon, I wonder how many more hundreds and thousands of people left after Jesus gave this word. I want to start at the end. Uh, verse 34, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. God's word is true because this, uh, this happened in our family. Jackie's a good cook. Uh, she's improving year by year from the day I married her. She was not a good cook 20, uh, 22 years ago, but she has gotten quite good. Uh, but there was a stretch maybe last year that her food was tasting a little bit bland. And, and I thought, okay, maybe she's not salty enough. And then and she says, no, look how much salt. I keep on putting more and more salt in. And then later we realize it's possible that salt loses saltiness. So you should look at the expiration uh, date of your herbs. And, and perhaps if your food is tasting blander and blander, it's because things are expiring and salt actually loses saltiness. We experience this in our home. And when a salt loses its saltiness, is it good for anything? No. Is it useful? No. What should you do with it? Throw it away. Throw it away. Exactly. Exactly. It is not good for anything. And so are we as Christians, can we be like salt? That loses its saltiness? Meaning, can we uh, be, in one season, very useful to the Master, and at the next season, very useless to the Master? In other words, can we be backsliders? And there are three reasons here for why we backslide. And it says in verse 26, 27, 33, that repeats the phrase, you cannot be my disciple. Uh, when it says cannot, means you are unable to because you do not have the power to. You are utterly powerless to continue to be a disciple. It's not an issue of desire. Every one of us wants to be a disciple of Jesus. But is it possible that for whatever reason, and we'll give three reasons today, uh, for a series of reasons that we can actually lose the ability because we have no power to continue and be a disciple of Jesus. Three reasons why we backslide. Uh, and another way to say it is become a salt that has lost its saltiness. In other words, become useless to the master. 
Number one is relationships, especially those closest to us. Number two is our stubborn will. And number three is our possessions. Let me start with the second and third and we'll end with the first. One reason we backslide and become like salt that has lost its saltiness and become, in other words, useless to the Master is our stubborn will. Verse 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me, uh, let's go to the second half. Yes, and even his own life. If you don't hate even your own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And, and I think we have to read verse 26, second half, in conjunction with verse 27. That is a foreshadowing of Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane when He is struggling with His final assignment. Will He obey God fully and completely? And He is struggling and He says, uh, Can this cup pass? Do I have to take up my cross and die the way, Father, you're telling me during this prayer that I'm going to have to, to, to suffer, to be beaten, to be ridiculed, and die shamefully? Do I have to do this? Can this cup pass from me? It's something He does not uh, want to do. But in that time of prayer, what does He do? Jesus, He surrenders. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And it's the same uh, issue with all of us. Um, what is a reason why we um, backslide and become uh, saltless salt and become utterly useless to the Master is because of our stubborn will and we end up doing my will and not the Father's will. <clears throat> Another reason we backslide and become like salt <clears throat> that has lost its saltiness and become utterly useless to the Master is because of our possessions. Uh, uh, Luke 14 also says there are two masters in this world. It's either God or money. Uh, And and there's nothing inherently wrong with money and possessions. Uh, But if you grip your money and you grip your possessions, these possessions possess you. And you live for money. You love money, you live for it. It becomes your God. But how we should handle our possessions is with an open hand. We have it. At any moment, we're willing to let it go. And, and this is something the Lord may ask you to do. And you may not ever consider that He may ask you to let go of everything. Does that ever cross your mind? That He may ask you to let go of everything. At any point when He asks you, you have to let go of it. If you do not, it has a chance to cause you to backslide. But the primary reason we backslide, I want to spend a little bit of time here. We backslide and become like salt that has lost its saltiness. In other words, become utterly useless to the Master is our relationships. And why our relationships? Especially those closest to us. Potentially the very thing that causes us to backslide. I've been asking the Lord all week. I think it's because our love, even for those uh, closest to us, is very self-centered. Our love for people, especially those closest to us, has, has a string attached to it. We have something that we expect in return for the love that we show. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said earlier to the chief Pharisee who had invited Jesus to this dinner party and he had other rich neighbors and guests at this party. 
because even Pharisees and any secular person out there who is just a good, decent person, you can love quite well to people that you choose to love. And there is a string attached to that. So even if, uh, if, you, if you invite a rich neighbor, it's not a free meal. It's not free. You expect a, a meal in return. You, you, by being friendly with this rich neighbor, you expect a favor when you're, when you're in need. Uh, and, and this goes all the way down the line. Not just rich neighbors, but even family members and friends. Uh, because of our self-centeredness, our love has strings attached to it. Our love is not free. In giving, there is some expectation of a return of some sort. Uh, when, it, when it comes to father and mother, as children who are uh, um, relating to father and mother, we give honor to them. And we expect something in return. We expect approval from them. It is not free. It is not, a, it is not honor um, um, because they deserve honor. It is not free. If they are completely dishonorable, we still honor. No, we, 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 it, uh, and we, we pick and choose whether we should honor them because we deem them honorable. If they're not honorable, we say, okay, we don't have to honor them. It, it, this shows us that there's a string attached to, to even the honor that we give. We honor certain people because there's something in it for us. We honor people even in God's church because we want their prayers. We want their advice. There, there's an honor that we show certain people, starting with father and mother, because we expect approval. We expect something. There's something in it for us. For, for, uh, it says also wives. Uh, uh, if you're a husband, you give love to your wife. You give sacrifice. Uh, you sacrifice for your, for your wife. In return, we expect respect. We expect them to make it a joy for us to lead them, to make it easy for us to do our job. There's something in it for us. We, we give and there's something, uh, there's a string attached to the love that we give. Younger children who are still under, uh, living under the parents' roof and under the authority of the parents. Parents provide for them. Parents protect them. Uh, parents show them unconditional love. If you're a Christian, you raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, is it free? No, in many cases there's a string. Uh, we expect uh, them to honor us. We expect the kids to, uh, 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 while they're young, to, to, we expect absolute obedience from them because that is their training. Because in the end they're going to leave uh, father and mother. They're going to be on their own. And hopefully while they're with us for 18 plus years, they've learned to obey so that one day they will learn to obey their Heavenly Father. But, but there's a string attached to even what we think is the most pure love that we have for those closest to us. Brothers and sisters, uh, this I think applies to uh, uh, biological siblings. I think it also applies to brothers and sisters in God's church. We serve one another. We encourage one another. Uh, we, we trust one another. Entrust ourselves to one another. Uh, we pray for one another. Carry one another's bur- burdens. Forgive one another. Have fun together. Spend time together. All of these things we do as siblings. We do life together. Is it free? In many cases, we expect affection. We expect them to reciprocate what we give to our friends, brothers and sisters. Why do these three things, um, our stubborn will, 
our possessions, and especially our relationships? Why do they have the potential to cause us to become disqualified from being a disciple of Jesus? Not because we want it this way. Who wants to be disqualified? All of us are here because we sincerely want to be a disciple of Jesus. We want to be a real Christian. But this is something, not, it is not an issue of desire. It is you become powerless to continue to be a disciple. What causes it? Why do these three things in particular uh, cause us to be powerless to continue to be a disciple? Uh, it's because our love is self-centered We have strings attached. We give and we expect something in return. We expect payment. And we love selectively. Who to love. And we love in our way how to love. And I think it pertains especially to uh, relationships. And our way of loving is utterly insufficient. Uh, the sin of uh, self-centeredness. Not only do we love with strings attached, we also insist on living, loving people our way. Um, you may have a certain picture of life, and if you watch the drama Sky Castle, the Korean drama, there is a, a certain picture, especially Koreans, Korean uh, church-going people, uh, who have this picture that I have to love my kids. That means I provide everything I could not have, I'm going to pour into my kids. Of course I want them to be saved. Of course I bring them to church. But really, what am I after? I want them to succeed. And I was a part of a church like this growing up. You go to the fellowship hall after, right after the service where they're talking about giving it all to Jesus. Right after the service, what are, they, what are the parents speaking about? As they eat their donuts, they're saying, oh, my kid got a 1590 on the SAT. Oh, my kid got into Harvard. What about your kid? It, is, it was like it drove me crazy. When I watch Skycast, I say, that's my life story. I see, I see, it was a living hell, I tell you. It's a living hell to live under that kind of a pressure. And, and it's, it's, I can't blame my parents. They're just loving the way they think I should be loved. They're loving in, in the way it's, 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 that's all they know. It's, it's all their friends know. It's all the whole church. That's all they know. I want to give a, a brief plug for homeschooling. <laughs> um, for many years, our family, we, we, um, we didn't ask the Lord, how should, how should I love my kids? What's the best way to love my kids? I never asked. And, with, and just by default, I just looked around. How do other people do life? Oh, parents send them to school. Parents bring them to youth group. Okay, that's my level of commitment to my kids. And I thought, that's all there is. According to God's Word, it says, parents, especially fathers, raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so by default, it is our job. By default, we should be keeping them in our home and training them and educating them and and teaching them what's really valuable instead of just putting them in the system and then wondering how come they are lost in college. It's not by accident, it's by design. Satan's plan by design is to get them at a young age, to brainwash them. And you think, well, how did they end up like this in college? It's by design. What if we took it a different way? What if by default we said, I am going to keep my kids at home. 
And if the Lord tells me, oh, send your kids to school, then I will send them. Then I will follow the majority. See, that's, that's, that's uh, not loving, God, uh, loving the children our way, with our wisdom, following the majority view, but that is loving based on God's Word, asking Him, and unless He tells you to send them to school, you keep them at home. That's my plug for homeschooling. The, the, there's a sin of partiality that, that we see in, in uh, Jesus' rebuke of the, 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 the host of the dinner party, the, the, dinner party the, the chief Pharisee. He is choosing who to love. And he is choosing how to love. He is choosing the rich neighbors and he's choosing to love them by uh, just extravagant meals because he wants that in return. Uh, for some of us, how do we express this sin of partiality? We say, it's only me and my family. That's, that's the extent of my love. I have a blinder to the rest of the world. Of course it says in God's Word, we need to love our kids. We need to love our spouse. That is, that is the loving the neighbor, literally the person next to you. That is our first and primary responsibility. Uh, but... But does it end there? Is it supposed to end there? Isn't that a training ground? As we see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus. Isn't it a training ground for, uh, for, for leadership in God's church? And then we can even draw the line there. It's only me and my church. I'm, I got my family down and I'm comfortable. It's just me and my church. It's a sin of partiality when we determine who we're going to love. Just like the Pharisee. He determined who he's going to love. For some, it is, uh, it is anybody but my family. My, my spouse drives me crazy. Uh, my kids drive me crazy. And I remember when I was a young kid, I mean, young parent, and I had young kids. The last thing I wanted to do at that, at that time was to change diapers. Babysitting to me was hell. Like, I, I want to do anything else. Just send, me, just send them to school. I'm just being honest. Send them to school. I don't want to do this. Jackie, I think, felt the same way. It's easier. Just send them to preschool. Get them. Let, let somebody else change your diapers. Give us a little break. Work is easy compared to keeping your kids with you 24 hours a day for years upon years upon years. And does God want it that way? Or was God's intention to... Uh, to train us during those years to do something we don't want to do. Uh, to, to love and to be present. Uh, and I used to think, well, shouldn't the kids have soccer? Shouldn't they have music lessons? There's all these things. And how are we going to do that in California? We need a dual income and to, to, to just to pay the mortgage and the rent and then, and then have enough extra to do all this. And this is our way. This is the world's way. It is possible in California for with one income. It is possible if you trust God. It is possible to give your children the best, which is yourself, which is your time. It is the best thing you can give to them just to be present. They don't need your money. Later on, they may resent you because you were not there. For some, it's anybody but the family because I, 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 I'm the first one to admit Family is the hardest in many ways. Family sees everything. Family sees your moods. Family sees everything. You can put on a good face when you're meeting someone for a dinner. 
or, or, or you're having a power lunch with somebody at work, your boss, you can put on a good face when you come for an hour on a Sunday, but your, your family sees you and, and you drive them crazy, they drive you crazy, and you say, the last thing I want is to spend more time. So let me just send them away. There's God's training that we missed. I missed many years of God's training. And I just did what I want, when I wanted, to whomever I wanted, instead of doing it God's way. There was a training for many years that I missed. There's years that I, that I cannot get back with my kids. There's an 18-year window. I cannot get those years back. For some, the sin of partiality says it's only me and my family. For others, it's just me and my family plus me and my church. For others, it's anybody but my family. It's, it's anything but my church. It's just people out in the world. Let me just do ministry. Let me, let me go to the uh, ends of the earth. For others, it's I don't even know who my neighbors are. See, we draw lines. We draw lines. Um, and all of it is a sin of partiality. If you want to be truly useful to the Master, that means... He can bring whoever He wants, whenever He wants. Like Jonah can't pick and choose and say, I don't want Nineveh, anybody but Nineveh. It's not up to us who God brings. They might not be our type. They not, might not be our socioeconomic class. They not might be the kind of people we like hanging out with. But do we say we don't love these people? If, if Jesus brings them to us, we have to love them. That's how we know uh, we are ready to overcome this sin of partiality. Um, when, when God brings people, and they're not our type, uh, they're not even our family, they're not even people within our church, they're people, random people that He has, people we come across in daily life, uh, and we're ready to, to receive them and love them the way Jesus loved them. That's when we know we're overcoming this sin of partiality. Jesus' love for us was never and is never self-centered. It's always for the good of us. It's always for the good of others. It's never self-centered. He is selfless to the core. Everything is about the other person thriving. Instead of us thinking, well, I should love in this way. This is what my child needs. This is what my spouse needs. This is what my church member needs. Instead of thinking, I know best, why don't we love the way Jesus loved? He loved, he was full of grace and truth. Sometimes and most times he leads with grace. Occasionally there is some hard truth and he kicks us in the butt. But we love the way Jesus loved. Not our way, not our timetable, not the people we want to love, not partiality, but totally impartial. Whoever he brings, whenever he brings, we love the way Jesus loved because Jesus was self centered and his love never had a string attached to it. Thank God. Thank God that um, He doesn't guilt us into serving Him. He doesn't pressure us like some churches do. Jesus never guilts His people. But gladly, because we're so thankful, out of thanksgiving, because Jesus gave His all to us, out of gratitude, we can choose to exercise our free will and give our all to Jesus and live for Jesus. That's what He wants. He doesn't want to manipulate you. He doesn't want to guilt you. He doesn't want to pressure you. He wants you to do it because you want to do it. You want to live for Jesus. And again, I want to ask, do you want to live for Jesus? Do you want to live for Him? Meaning, whatever plan that you have, let's not be stubborn about it. Let it go. The, the money that grips you, 
that's like if God tells you tomorrow I need you in another state, I need you in another country, can you move? How, how, how much has the possessions uh, possessed you? Do you really want to live for Jesus? Meaning, He, he, he determines who you love, when you love, how you love. We cannot determine and make barriers and dividers and put on blinders and say, I only love this far. I only love in this way. Our love is self-centered. Our way is so limited. But we need to take our cues from Jesus. Jesus is not self-centered. Jesus' love is, uh, does not have a string attached to it. He is calling us and asking us, can you be a salt that is actually salty? Can you be useful to the Master? Can you be His instrument in His hands, doing what He says, when He says? Um, not, not insisting on our will, our preferences. That's, that person is not my type. That ministry is not my type. I don't want to go there. I'm comfortable here. None of that. We just let it all go. And say, Jesus, I want to live for You. Okay, let's pray. After we pray, we're going to have a time of prayer. And if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior, Lord, and you want to say, uh, actually, I've never been a true disciple. I didn't count the cost. I didn't know what was required of me. And no wonder I've been powerless to continue in my discipleship with Jesus. If that's you today, if you want to accept Christ as personal Savior for the first time or recommit your life, to Jesus, uh, please come forward and receive prayer. If you've never been baptized, you'd like to be baptized, um, uh, please come forward. We'd love to uh, uh, pray with you on that. If you'd like to uh, become a member of this church, you've been baptized already then, and you'd like to share your testimony before the congregation and be welcomed officially uh, as, a, as a brother or sister at the Hill, uh, I ask you to come forward after, after I've prayed. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our stubborn will. Forgive us for not surrendering. Forgive us for possessing and gripping onto our stuff. Most of all, forgive us for loving people um, who we want, when we want, how we want. Jesus, we, we need to love you supremely. That's the only way we can love others properly. Not only those we want to love, but people you bring to us, people who are not our type, people who we prefer not to love, we will love them the way Jesus loved because we love Jesus supremely. Father, forgive us for the sin of partiality. Forgive us for turning blinders, for insisting on our preferences of who we love. It is not up to us, Lord. We surrender to you. We pray that from, starting from this day, we exercise our free will. We give our lives to you, Jesus. We pray that you, we can follow you. We can live for you. We can let everything go that is, uh, that is holding us back. We want to do everything that you ask of us. Even the things that we do not want to do, we want to do it with, with a good heart, with the right heart, with your heart. Father, help us to love the way that you love, the people that you want us to love. 
Help us to love with the heart of Christ and the love of God, with true compassion. Thank you, Lord. Pray that you minister to us as we partake in the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to receive prayer, please uh, come forward and, and I, one of us would love to pray for you.